Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's this podcast aimed at folks who, like Neo in the Matrix, feel a deep sense of dislocation. On this pod, we talk about heavy things lightly. We'll use theology, history, philosophy, and years of deeply immersive experiences in foreign cultures to figure out how did we get here because it's crazy. Our pod goes beyond the rhetorical rabbits produced by media. Instead, we look at contemporary culture through a new world and an old world perspective. So join me, John Hears, our team of first things field workers, as we wonder aloud, why? Why are we talking about rabbits? Let's advocate for a better present by reminding us of our past. This is episode six. This is Kanye, eugenics, and tasty bacon. Kanye is talking again, guys. Yep, he is. About Margaret Sanger, abortion, being the president of the United States. This is juicy, man. It's too juicy to pass up. A rapper who once called himself Jesus, now worshiping Jesus, calling out the founder of modern-day reproductive rights movement. It's like an atom bomb of heavy stuff, but done lightly. Like, I don't even... That's the end of the podcast. We're done. Now, today we're going to address these comments by Kanye regarding Margaret Sanger, the family planning project that became called Planned Parenthood. And we're going to do it and learn about what I'm going to call the Perfection Project, eugenics, and bacon. And we'll touch on red state, blue state stuff. And COVID continues. But first, here's what Kanye said in his interview recently I think about two weeks ago with Forbes magazine. You can find this stuff on the show notes. Quote, Planned parenthoods have been placed inside cities by white supremacists to do the devil's work. Kanye's talking about Planned Parenthood being devilish. So, the devil's work, I think here is a reference to abortion. And he goes on a little bit in the article to talk about the proliferation of Planned Parenthood clinics in black neighborhoods. And for sure, it's a dig at the founder of Planned Parenthood and the, really the birth control movement, Margaret Sanger. She, who, by the way, has a square, a little neighborhood named after her in Manhattan's NoHo district. That's north of Houston. If you're from down there, you know where it is. So let's take a look today at Margaret Sanger, her work, and if she can be counted, as Kanye is doing here, if she can be counted as a racist, because you know that's going around. Let's see if she's um, a racist. And let's see how her worldview falls on our old world, new world continuum. Speaking of that, did you get a chance to take last week's Lidometer test? Check out episode five. If you took the test, my buddies, well, a lot of people took the test actually, but two of my buddies out in LA, they scored a four and a three respectively. That makes them shining city dwellers on a hill. 
That's right. This is science, as I mentioned last week. My wife took it nine. That makes her a suburbanite. A person I don't know who really likes our pod out in Seattle, they told me they're a full-on villager. They came in at 13, just shy of being, that's right, the Charlemagne. Check it out anyway. We're having fun with it probably forever. People liked it. So today, Kanye, Margaret Sanger, Utopias, and here we go. Let's start with history. Who was Margaret Sanger? So she's really important in American history. So this could be fun. She's born in 1879, 150 years ago. Her name is Margaret Louise Higgins at that time. She's born to Irish Catholic parents. Her father was a stonemason. He called himself a free thinker. At the turn of the 20th century, that just basically meant atheist. Ironically, Michael, that's her father, spent lots of time chiseling out angels, saints, and tombstones in and around New York City, and those were found on Catholic churches. By the early 1900s, Sanger's father had become a very serious activist for women's suffrage, and he was an advocate for free public education. Anne, her mother, came to the United States with her family to escape the Irish potato famine. She married Michael, that's Margaret's father, we just talked about him, and proceeded to conceive 18 times. She gave birth to 11 living children. She died at age 49. She did a lot of other stuff, but it's not easy to find, like mothering. So Margaret, our subject today... As per this Kanye saga, well, she was the sixth child to be born of the 11 11 surviving children. She married at age 23 to a prominent architect and well-known political activist in the New York area. They settled down in Westchester, a suburb of New York, and well, Sanger got busy, but not with kids. She had two eventually, but she spent a lot of time in the bohemian world of pre-World War I Greenwich Village. I like Greenwich Village. She proceeded to join countless organizations, including the Women's Committee of the New York Socialist Party, the Industrial Workers of the World, and as a writer, the left-wing newspaper, the New York Call. In that paper, she wrote many articles educating women on sexual education and the earliest forms of birth control. Eventually, about the time she initiated divorce proceedings with her husband, her first husband, she started a monthly magazine called The Woman Rebel. That was an eight-page monthly, and its motto was, No Gods, No Masters. So Sanger was becoming famous at this point with the New York elite. And she was off to the races and would eventually found what we know today as Planned Parenthood. So for me, looking at Sanger, doing some homework for you guys, the best way to think of her is that one person in your high school who couldn't care less about high school or about what you thought of her. She's that person. She's the one who always had a side hustle in high school, sort of cared about that way more than, say, Glee Club or Algebra. You kind of, people like knew about her, didn't really know her name. She's that person. Her side hustle was helping women help themselves. And her tool was birth control. 
But was she a racist? Was she a eugenicist? Now, they're not the same thing. That's what we're going to take apart. But was she a racist who founded a movement intent on keeping black people from reproducing? For that, we need to take a look at her lig. And on this show, that means her ligion, her religion, or a better way of put it is, is the ligaments that held together her worldview. In other words, what are the principles that allowed her to see the world the way she did? So that's going to be a little heavy moment for us. Ready to go? Let's go heavy. Here's the definition of eugenics as per the very light guide known as Noah Webster. Noah Webster, of course, created First American Dictionary in the 1820s. So Noah Webster is going to give us a definition. Remember, everything comes light or dark. And he's a light guy. Enlightenment. Is that what that means there? Here's his definition of eugenics. The practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding of human populations as by sterilization, for example, to improve the population's genetic composition. Hmm. The practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding of human populations and to improve genetic composition. So, is that what Sanger stood for? Was her life's work about selective human breeding? Well, let's let her tell us. Let me share a speech she gave in a New York Historical Society on January 17, 1932. You ready? The title of the speech is My Way to Peace. Yep. And it's what we're going to talk about right here. We're going to just quote almost the whole thing. Let's do it. Stay focused. It's amazing what we can learn when we actually listen to the whole thing and don't just go down a rabbit hole. You ready? There's no surviving audio of this speech, so I'm going to do it in my best 1930s-style reporter's voice. I'm also very sorry that I'm going to do that, but deep down, I kind of like it. Here we go. My Way to Peace by Margaret Sanger. My way to peace would be first to put into action the 14 points of President Wilson, upon which Germany and Austria surrendered to the Allies. So she's starting with some foreign policy. We won't get into that, but she's referring to a plan to put the world back together after World War I. And then she continues, quote, The second way to peace is to have Congress set up a special department for the study of population problems and to appoint a parliament of population directors representing the various branches of science. Parliament of Population Directors. Hmm, what would they do? She's going to tell us. Her speech continues. Number one, these directors would raise the level and increase the general intelligence of our population. Two, the Parliament of Population would increase the population slowly by keeping the birth rate at its present level. Three, we would keep the doors of immigration closed to certain aliens whose condition is known to be detrimental to the stamina of the race, such as feeble-minded, idiots, morons, insane, syphilitic, epileptic, criminal, professional prostitutes, and others in this class 
We would bar them from entrance in the same way as the immigration laws of 1924. Now, if you're unaware, her use of the word idiot and moron are actual clinical terms. They're words used by eugenic scientists to describe people with certain IQs. Really, though. When someone says in 1932, you're a moron, they're using a scientific term like someone calling you a diabetic or a redhead. Like, hey, you're an idiot. And then you could actually say, no, actually, I'm a moron. See, it says so right here. Like that. But, yeah, she's not done. She definitely wants to do some stuff, right, to reduce idiots and morons. And who doesn't want to do that? But I digress. Let's keep going. Quote, The fourth item is to apply a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population whose progeny is already tainted or whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to offspring. I'll sum that one up for you. She's just saying, sterilize morons. Number five. We will ensure the country against future burdens. The government would pension all persons with transmissible disease who voluntarily consent to sterilization. Pension all persons. That's interesting. That's pay people who choose to be sterilized. And that, again, is a grade of person who wants to be sterilized. The government, in her, my plan to peace speech, would pension all persons who choose to be sterilized. Number six, the whole dysgenic population would have its choice of segregation or sterilization. So if you're dysgenic, that just means your genes are bad. You could choose segregation or sterilization. And number seven, there would be a farm and lands and homesteads where segregated persons would be taught to work under competent instructors for the period of their entire lives. Whoa, whoa, hold on. That's interesting. In her speech, her seventh point is that if you choose segregation over sterilization because you are a moron, then you get to live on a farm and you're taught to work under competent instructors and you get to do it for the rest of your life. I didn't make this up. So... If you get sterilized, thumbs up. If you get segregated, you get to work on a camp or in a camp. Oh, in a camp. That sounds bad. So look, that's her speech. There's not much else to it. You can look it up. It's in the show notes. Uh, People, the jury's in. Sanger? Yeah, she was a eugenicist. Sorry. People arguing that she wasn't trying to, and I'm going to read the definition again for you, of eugenics, the practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding. (laughs) If people out there don't think she was a eugenicist, I think 
you got to check that IQ test. Uh, could you be a moron at that point? It's not debatable. The debate is super closed. I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just, it's not a debate. That, that speech was given many times. But remember, Kanye's doing something else there. He's calling her a racist. Was she a racist? I'm going no on this one. Let's talk about why. You see, I think her worldview is about perfection. It's about sorting out impurities so that we all may move closer to the perfect, the good, a life worth living. I think she's a perfectionist, a believer in the perfection project, a believer in progress. Because if you believe in perfection, by definition, things get better. I think she's one who sees history in a linear way, going from bad to better to best. Getting rid of some people along the way, that just needs to happen. And her life's work was making sure people could choose. See, she kept choice in there. The Nazis, not so much. But the choices are sort of restricted if you turn up high on the moron test. Right? But she did want to provide choices, and she wanted governments to have choices, too, about their dysgenic population. Right? And governments chose. Legislation that she and her organizations backed during the 19-teens, 20s, and 30s, they, that legislation was responsible for more than 70,000 forced sterilizations of American citizens. Okay, now that's not directly her, but her organizations and that speech and the ethos of it led to legislation. And a Supreme Court, who when they heard the famous Buck case, Carrie Buck, they literally said, yeah, yeah, you sterilize her. She's like, no, I don't really want, I'm good. I know I'm not the smartest person on the block, but please do not snip me. And they're like, nah, they get to. That was North Carolina, I'm pretty sure. They were like, no, North Carolina's going to snip you. I know you don't want it. The Supreme Court, eight to one, said they could snip her against her will. Right? So, like, if you got caught and drunk in public too often, snip. It's crazy. And it's eugenics. And it feels not good. But is it racist? So... Sanger is trying to push society toward reducing certain populations, for sure. But it's not clear in history that she was out to destroy black populations or Jewish populations or what we'd call racial categories. She was an equal opportunity eugenicist, an equal opportunity perfectionist. And that's where New Worlders of all types tend to coalesce as one big team in history. You see, the Nazi project shares a lot in common with the Soviet project, which shares a ton in common with the French Revolution project, which, of course, is a cousin of bum, 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 the American project. Oh, what was that project called? A project to create a more perfect union. Perfection. It's in there, man. Jefferson and Ben Franklin and the Puritans who settled Plymouth 
and the progressives of the prohibition movement to outlaw liquor in 1919, all these cats share a utopian worldview. They all believe in perfecting society. They all believe in a better world and in a better future on earth right here where we live and breathe right now. And what's really cool is all of them bake their utopian pot pie using a recipe they got from a guy named Bacon. We got to take a look at Francis Bacon. Because he's the one, man. He created the recipe. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. But man, Bacon? You can't argue against Bacon. So, Francis Bacon, born on January 22nd, 1561, goes back. See, he's back there. He's right back there. Right in the Enlightenment. He was born near the Strand in London, right in the center. His father was a bigwig whose Instagram name was Lord Keeper of the Great Seal. Not kidding. I mean, if there was an Instagram. He was actually called the Lord Keeper of the Great Seal. His mother was Anne Cook Bacon. That is true. This stuff, it's amazing. (laughs) It writes itself. History's funny. Anne Cook Bacon was his mom. She was the daughter of a renowned Renaissance humanist, Anthony Cook. So young Francis was homeschooled. Yep. But more like castle schooled. And by like not normal teachers, for instance, his number one teacher was the Archbishop of Canterbury. That's like the head of the entire English church was like would teach him how to do cursive. Oh, and Queen Elizabeth. Also, she was one of his teachers. Yeah, the one in the movies who's all pale and called the Virgin Queen. Right. Virginia's named after her. Yeah, that was one of his like, hey, Queen Elizabeth. Help me out here with these building blocks. Okay, Bacon went on to become a famous member of Parliament, duh, in England. And then he became the Attorney General of England under James I. And then he became inextricably linked to the founding of North America by British settlers. He helped finance the first trip of England to what we know as Canada today. And he also was behind the first Overseas trading companies, joint stock companies. He's the father of what we call the scientific method. That's true. And on top of it all, he was a novelist. His big novel was called The New Atlantis. Hmm, The old Atlantis got buried and we're raising up the new one. The Greeks. Yes. In his novel, Bacon recasts the gospel according to St. John. That's the book in the Bible. He recasts, he turns John's light of the world, right? The main player, Christ. He rewrites it and calls it a new light. Guess what? There's a new light that comes into the world, a different light. And you already know it if you're listening. It's the light of reason. And what would reason do as his protagonist in his novel, The New Atlantis? You guessed it. It would allow weak human beings to become strong human beings, masters of their own universe. It would allow them to create a long-lasting heaven on earth. There's the key. Heaven on earth. Heaven is there, but it's here. It's not out there. It's not waiting. It's not in the next world. No. 
You see, like all deists of the time, Francis Bacon thought there was a God, but he wasn't really around anymore. Think Watchmaker, wind it up, let it go. And his novel was a hit. Thomas Jefferson put Bacon on the short list of the greatest human beings ever. That's not a joke. Want to know who the other two were? Let's do it. Thomas Jefferson, three greatest people ever. Number one, Isaac Newton, Enlightenment scientist. Number two, anyone want to guess? John Locke. That's right. Senor enlightened self-interest himself. John Locke, the father of human rights. That's right. And number three, the third greatest person, Jesus. Okay, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Jesus. Was it Muhammad either? No, Jefferson definitely didn't put Jesus on the list. He actually took a Bible and an exacto knife and cut out all the parts where Jesus did miracles. Like, I didn't make that up. He actually took the book, took an exacto knife, and went through page by page and cut out the miracle parts. Check out the show notes. There's a link to a pic of Tom's Bible, Tom Jefferson's Bible, and it's all cut up. And this was when it was at the Smithsonian, being shown there at the Smithsonian, and it resides at the University of Virginia. So no, uh, Jefferson did not name Jesus on his top three human list, but we know he did include bacon. The tasty Francis Bacon, the lightest light guy ever, is in his top three of all humans to live ever. Okay, but what's this got to do with Margaret Sanger again and eugenics and Kanye? Well, Sanger and her worldview, her lig, that's what we're talking about, is a direct descendant of Bacon and Jefferson and many other important figures from the Enlightenment that all share deeply in a utopian worldview. Utopian. Here's the definition. It's Webster again. He says, Utopia is a place of ideal perfection, especially in laws, government, and social conditions. Laws, government, and social conditions can become perfected, Margaret Sanger. You see, she's a major player in the New World's Perfection Project. All of these people shared a utopian worldview that at its core says something like perfection is possible here on earth, right here. Yeah, where we live, our day-to-day lives right now. Sanger was a utopian thinker, a human perfecter person, a person who says we can end all human suffering. Like that commercial with Common, the rapper that plays like every time I try to watch the NBA app. The one where he says, we are living in the future we always dreamed of, and AI is empowering us to change the world we see. That's just so utopian. We are living in the future we always dreamed of. You hear all that utopia in there? And Common's good at rapping. The sense of progress and perfection's all in there. It's exciting. It's us. It's the American Perfection Project, but it's also a lig. Sorry. It's a legion. It's a way to see the world. It's a type of belief system. And Sanger was all in it. Her tool wasn't AI like Common, though. Or that's a Microsoft commercial. Her tool was not new world colonial settlements and all that ugliness. Her tool was not the new bicameral legislative initiative. 
like Jefferson, or the invention of gravity like Newton, Sanger's tool was the gene pool. Human genes. She was going to take that on and perfect human beings. Science. Kanye is wrong about Margaret Sanger. I think so anyway. She and her organizations, including Planned Parenthood, aren't racist. You can stretch it and try to make it sound like that, but history doesn't really say that. She's just a new worlder on steroids. She's a rationalist studying the human gene pool in order to manipulate it for the public good. And above all, these cats and especially Margaret Sanger, are people who trust in mankind's ability, read scientists there, to create a perfect society, a more perfect union, a more perfect life for everyone here on Earth. And that's just not how old worlders think. That's what we're doing on this show, right? Left and right, up and down, black and white, dark and light. Old worlders are not like, no, I'm good. For better or worse, they don't think like this. we got to dig down for two seconds. But to illustrate, let's just end this pod with a story to help you see how old worlders think about this concept of perfection. Okay? And then we can get back to Netflix because I actually want to get back to Netflix. Have you guys been watching Unsolved Mysteries? Like, they're really unsolved. That's the problem with the show. But, like, I want to find out that... The guy off the building? That's crazy. But anyway, that's a new world gadget that I am fond of. Anyway, recently, this is a story about the old world to help us make our final point. Recently, one of our field workers, first things, one of our field workers in Sierra Leone was suffering from not one, but two pink eyes. Oh, and malaria at the same time. He'd been laid up in bed, but feeling a little bit better this day, he went to the market for some dinner. This is a true story. Arriving at his favorite peanut saleswoman's stall, a woman named Adama, a Muslim woman, he tried to order a handful of super delicious all-organic ground nuts, because that's what they are. And Adama, his friend there at the market, was intrigued. You can't see me, can you? She asked Daniel. And he's laughing, and he's like, no, not really. I think you could tell my eyes are pretty much almost shut. And I also think I have malaria. And she laughed. Adam was laughing. I could see it. He told me this story recently. It's good for you, she said. Very good. And then she gave him some peanuts and filled his hand, like kind of reached for it so he could see it properly. He goes, and uh, Daniel says, oh, really, Adam, it's it's good for me? Because it, it doesn't feel too good for me to have two pink eyes and malaria. And then she said, well, it should. You're blessed. See, by suffering, Daniel, you're able to remember your gifts and to remember God. And that was that. Malaria Pink Eye Dan went back to had his snack in the hut. <laughs> That's the old world. Suck it up. Suffering is good. And man, is that at odds with the perfection project. It's at odds with Sanger and her family planning perfection project, the projects that demand an end to suffering through the manipulation of human beings. It just doesn't go together. 
Her worldview, Bacon's worldview, Jefferson's worldview, they clash with Adama and her old world leg that basically and weirdly it embraces an unforgiving natural world. It doesn't try to change it. It embraces it as a means to grow closer to God for better or worse. And if you listen carefully, this is the cool part. You can hear in all of this a little of the red state, blue state divide right here in America. You can hear it, right? Think masks. Which states out there are saying, ah, heck, a little COVID might even teach you something. Suck it up. Right? And which states are saying, look, if you dumbasses would just do what the studies tell you to do, we could fix this thing. You hear it in there? It's not as simple as blue states are Margaret Sanger and red states are Adam, the peanut saleswoman. I get it. But it's just, you can hear that historical residue of the new world and the old world divide. You can see it. And you can hear it when you start to pay attention. It's everywhere. Try it. Perfect it. Suffer it. Interesting, right? I mean, I get it. You could do both. Maybe that's the real answer, right? Look, today, Crazy Kanye helped us to look at all of this. But maybe Crazy Kanye isn't the craziest clown in the circus because he might just be the clown that opens the door that has the key to that unseen reality that none of us want to really look at. He might be the only clown that can help us to see this. He might be, because when the other two clowns start talking, everyone sort of knows what they're going to say, and we settle in. Anyway, that's a, a digression, but it's a really cool podcast about that called The Symbolic World by Jonathan Pajot. Check it out in the show notes. We'll put that in there, too. But anyway, I digress. The Perfection Project versus The Suck It Up Project. Old world, new world. I hope you tune in again next week. It's been fun, people. That's what we're doing here. And why are we talking about rabbits? Shenny's Gaggy Marjos. That means to you, the victory. It's often said at a KP table in Georgia. That's the Republic. Great place. That's our pod for today. Thanks for coming along. Watar, why are we talking about rabbits? Watar is produced by Andrew Schwark. It's double produced by Daniel Paternos. And our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation. That's our nonprofit. We live and work in some of the world's toughest neighborhoods. We immerse there for two years in order to create momentum for local change makers, people we call impresarios. We work on behalf of their vision for a better life. Share Watar with a friend. Hit us up with a solid review on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcasts. Your love for us allows us to love and serve others. Nakvamdis. Hasta luego, cambufo au revoir, and peace out.